Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. everybody welcome to the nick at night show we've got a ton of stuff to talk about tonight some of it ridiculous and some of it downright disgusting we've got politics on the schedule we've got well you name it whatever you want to talk about is fine with me of course the numbers you can reach us at are 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766 so that's 343-700-4390-844 Five six two four seven six six. You can also reach me at, at Nick at Night at LateNightCouncil dot com. Uh, I'll leave. I have my Facebook page open, so if you want to send me a message that way, I can certainly do that. Well, whatever means of communications you can think of, those are the ways you can use to get a hold of us and have a conversation. I like phone calls though five three four three seven zero zero forty three ninety because it's instant interaction. There was a bit of an exchange on Facebook this week about the relative whether, whether or not. Uh, talk, and I use the word radio loosely, and by that I mean both online and and the old-fashioned terrestrial style over the airwaves, whether it had any future. And I, you know what? I really think it does, and here's why. Because, first of all, it's as close to a real-time conversation as you can have. Facebook, okay, it, it Facebook doesn't really lend itself to a conversation that allows for some thought to go into it. Most people, if you watch any thread, you go to anybody's Facebook page, especially one that concentrates on politics, and you get what's called uh, thread drift, where you start off with one topic, and before long you're babbling off about something else, and somebody gets offended, and now there's a big fight going. Uh, and, you know, and, it's just, and then you have posts getting buried under, under um, one, um, you know how you can respond to a particular comment, but it's not shows up and doesn't show up in the rest of the uh, thread. So really good comments can be lost to the large number of people who are reading the thread. It's just not, it's, it's an adequate but not perfect means of communication. Talk radio, on the other hand, whether it be online in a setting like this or at a terrestrial radio station, if I say something that really ticks you off, you can pick up the phone and call 343-700-4390 and let me know exactly what you think of what I just said almost instantaneously. That's what I love about this format. And it gives me a chance to get a whole bunch of junk off my chest. That's It's really more therapy for me than it is for anything else. Excuse me. 
Now, speaking of therapy, uh, I just did get out of therapy. I, uh, they say the scars will go away before too long. I'm kidding. Uh, we have actually, just before I get into the real meat and potatoes of the show, have you ever heard of a program called WorkAway? It's a program where young people can um, apply to, and they put a profile up on a web page of who they are and you know what their interests are, and they barter work for board. Um, in most cases, or at least the ones that I'm familiar with, and maybe because it's the fact I live on a farm, a lot of these people are looking for work on farms you know, with animals, and, and uh, they want to come and, and spend some time uh, with the family and getting to know what life is like in a particular country and to experience some of that culture. And I think it's a great idea. Now, there are inherent risks, of course, because you never really know who you're dealing with. Uh, you know, there's a lot of emailing and screening going on. And, and we just, uh, we have our our first WorkAway student of the year is with us, Lucille. She's from France. And a uh, very lovely young lady. She's about 26, 27 years old. Uh, loves horses, loves kids. And seems, we've only had her with us now for a couple of days, but seems to be fitting right in. So she's uh, she's there. She's going to trade about 20 hours worth of work a week for her board and, and you know, uh, food and lodging, so to speak. And she's to take the rest of the time to travel around the area, go to Algonquin Park, the Bonshire Caves, and all that sort of thing. And I think it's a great idea. So I certainly uh, am excited to have her have her with, with us for the month that she'll be, she'll, be, she'll be in Canada. From here she goes on to Iceland, and then she goes on to Norway, and then she goes on to Finland, and who knows where after that. But, you know, from her perspective or from anybody's, a young person's perspective, to get a chance to see how the rest of the world does things, I think is really, uh, if you can do it, then I think it's really a, a good thing because you get a much better appreciation for how the world works. I had that opportunity when I was in the Navy as a young man. I didn't take it to the extent I should have, that's for sure. I spent too much time with other, let's call them recreational pursuits whenever we hit a foreign port. <laughs> so if you can imagine a sailor with a pocket full of money and six weeks at sea, he's just coming in. The last thing he wants to do is go to a museum. <laughs> anyway, so it's been fun having her. We'll have two or three of them over the course of the summer. And if you're um, ever uh, considering having somebody in as a workaway or if you have children, there's, as a parent, i got to tell you, I'm, especially with what's going on in Europe, I'm nervous. I don't know that I'd let my children go off to Europe. But there are other places, the United States, New Zealand, Australia, uh, Iceland. I never even considered Iceland. She's going off to I Lucille's going off to Iceland. That would be cool. I mean, to talk about a whole culture shock. Anyway, I'm babbling. I just want to kind of kick the show off and, and let you know that little bit. Now, going from one thing to another, from one extreme to the other, a very pleasant experience to one that just I can't wrap my head around. Uh, this one. The, the trial just concluded today for a former mount, Mountie who tortured and sexually abused his 11-year-old son. He got 15 years. Now, look, as many of you know, I have a bucket full of kids. When you count all the legs and divide by two, you come up with eight. And I cannot, for the life of me, imagine anyone doing what this officer did. Now, he's making, the, when you read in the story, it's in the Ottawa Sunday. Uh, when you read in the story, he's, he says he's suffering from PTSD. He was raised in Lebanon, saw all kinds of war. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There is no excuse for that. He said the boy was possessed. 
Well, even if you believe that, you don't do what this guy did. Even if you believe that. This is so outrageous. First of all, 15 years isn't half long enough. So I'm curious, what I want to know from you, if that's the maximum the law allows, would you support, and I know I certainly would, a dramatic increase in the kind of punishments that people who do this kind of thing get when they're caught? Now, fortunately in Canada, it's relatively rare. I'm not going to say it never happens. Obviously, it does. And I'm sure there's cases out there we never hear about. But in a case like this, you've got an RCMP officer, someone we're supposed to look to, to protect us from people like this. Not only betraying his oath to protect the public at large, but far more importantly, betraying his, his fundamental duty to protect his own family. Not only did he not protect them, he brutalized the boy. So number one, we got to do something. And here's what's really driving me crazy. And this is why I'm so upset about this. We get all bent out of shape, and we should. I'm not saying for a second that we shouldn't. When cases like this happen, okay, this man is a monster and deserves to go, I would say, 30 years, no parole. You don't get past go, you're gone. By the time you get out, you're a very old man if you're still alive. Then you're starting to get somewhere near adequate. Because this young boy is going to take years. I don't believe he will never, he'll never fully recover. That's true. He will heal. But just like when you have a, you cut yourself, even after you, you, you heal, you still may have a scar. He's going to have damage from this the rest of his life. He will, I hope for his sake, move on and be able to have a somewhat normal life. But his father, if you can call him that, and I use it that word in the biological sense only because this guy was anything but a real father to this kid. So the thing that bugs me about it, we get all upset about this, and yet at the same time, in this province, we have a, we have a curriculum written by a pedophile, and we have forgotten all about it. So in my estimation, what needs to happen here is we need to re-ingrain how important children are to our future. Now, I'm not talking about in a collective, you know, lefty, fuzzy, feel-good, it-takes-a-village kind of way. The family is still the number one caregiver for children. And I don't see this change in that. It shouldn't. It, it will never change that in my mind. But when monsters like this feed on their own family, we need to come down like a ton of bricks on them. We need to let them know in no uncertain terms that as a society, as a culture, there is no room, no tolerance, and no patience for this kind of monstrosity. Whether you're dad, mom, uncle, grandma, grandpa, I don't care, neighbor, Whoever it is, you treat a child like that, you're going to spend the vast majority of the rest of your life in jail. But at the same time, we have, look at the leadership in this province. Did Kathleen Wynne ever de denounce what ben, Levin, what ben Levin did? No. Did she ever say, well, we gotta, we, we're going to scrap this, this curriculum and look at it all over again because it was written by a monster? These two men I put on the same scale. So we need to really get it through our heads.
as a culture and a society that when we condemn it on one spot, we have to condemn it on the other. We're right to be angry and upset about the sentence. This guy, now maybe this is all the law will allow under the charges, under the criminal code. But if that's the case, then we need to change the charges. We need to change the penalties for these cases. And there is a mechanism to do that. It's called elections. It's called governance. And it's making sure you're members of parliament because the, this is a federal offense. So you have to change the criminal code. Not you know, It's not a, a provincial offense. Uh, so you can't just do it at the provincial level. You have to change it. Now, the problem with that, of course, look who's sitting on the throne. He's got no interest in this kind of stuff. Because if he did, there'd already be legislation in place to make sure this doesn't... We, we certainly deal with people in the harshest terms who do this to children. And I think what really, really makes me upset about it is more than this is... It's bad enough when it happens to an adult. That's bad enough. But when you have an 11-year-old boy or girl and you do something like this, you strip them of something you can never give back. Their innocence. And that is priceless. And that's the kind of thing that just makes me steam under the collar because there's nothing more, nothing to me more precious than a child's innocence. The world will come slamming down on them soon enough. We don't need to expedite the process. Let them be kids for as long as they can be kids because once it's over, it's over. There's no going back. Now, some people never leave their childhood, but that's a problem, too. You're supposed to eventually grow up, but there's no need to rush it. And when somebody does something like this, they have trespassed in an area that is so sacred that they need to come down. We need to come down on them like the proverbial ton of bricks and throw them in the deepest, darkest hole we have. Because there's no excuse for this. There is no place for this, at least in any Canada I want any part of. I wonder if you feel the same way. 343-700-4390. You let me know. Tell me, do you think that the penalty for this kind of crime, what this officer did, and the story, like I said, it's in the Ottawa Sun, and, and the reason I bring it up out of the Ottawa Sun is because it's a national issue. This is a federal offense. This should apply to every jurisdiction in the country. That I don't care whether you live in Bonavista, Newfoundland, or out there in Nanaimo, B.C., or any point in between, Iqlet, I don't care. You could live in Alert for all I care. Children are not your toys. They are not for your fantasies. They are children. You can't even call them young adults. They're kids. All right. Tell you what, let me cool off. I'll play a little piece of music, and then we'll come back with more right after this.
General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right. I've wiped some of the steam off the windows in here, cooled off a little bit. I tell you, that stuff just sets my head on fire. All right. Now, let's go talk about this one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, here's a story out of the National Post. I just posted it before the show. You probably haven't had a chance to go through it yet, but let me share with you the meat and potatoes of it. There's a couple, a Christian couple. They they were um, vetted as foster parents. Their name are Derek and Francis Bars, B-A-A-R-S. They are uh, Presbyterians, and they do not believe in lying. They, I know that sounds... <laughs> all, on one hand, it should go without saying. And on the other hand, it's a bit of a shock, because there aren't many people out there who can say, I do not lie. And when I say that, I'm not talking about, you know... Uh, Intention. I'm. I'm saying this. A lot of us will tell a little white lie in order to ease, you know, not, maybe not come down on somebody with a brutal honesty because they can't handle it, or when, around kids and so on. Sometimes it's better just to let a myth continue, and that's kind of what this is about. Uh, this couple said, "No, you know what? Uh, we will not tell." They they were vetted by the Hamilton Children's Aid Society. The family, the, 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 they went through uh, multiple visits to their home. Uh, they discovered what the religious beliefs of these people were. Uh, they discovered the fact that the Derek is blind. They knew all about what these people stood for and who they were and approved them to be parents. And they had a caseworker and everything was fine. Okay. Then partway through the process, they give them two little beautiful little girls and they're, they're, they said they were just absolutely in love with these kids the moment they walked in. Well, let me, let me read to you just a little bit of this uh, to kind of set the stage. Derek and Francis Bars, who lived in rural Hamilton at the time, but have since moved to Calgary, filed a lawsuit against the Canadian, uh, um, CES on Tuesday, alleging a child support worker insisted the couple proactively tell two girls in their care, age three and four, the Easter Bunny was, a genuine, was genuine despite the couple's belief that lying is wrong. We have a no-lying policy, Derek Barr said in an interview. We explained to the agency we are not prepared to tell children a lie. If the children asked, we would not lie to them, but we wouldn't bring it up ourselves. Now, that sounds relatively reasonable, don't you think? Given what their religious convictions are, which were approved by the Hamilton CAS. What happened in this case is they got a change in caseworkers. The first one was reasonable. And wasn't difficult to deal with and understood what was going on. The second one steps in and all of a sudden decides that, whoa, hold it. 
No, you get this is a cultural thing. You got to lie to them, even though you, you got to tell them the bunny that the the, um, the Easter bunny is real, and you got to tell them Santa Claus is real. Now I hope there's no kids listening because <laughs> see this is one of those little things that this is where. Um, most people would just go along with it just to, you know, because who doesn't like to see the, the lights in a young child's eyes come Christmas morning when Santa Claus has been there, right? So I hope there's none of, the, none of them listening. But the bottom line is they were not willing to betray what they believed to be a fundamental value that they stood for simply for um, the sake of a myth. They didn't want to do that. And they told CS, and then CS was fine. Well, this person came along, um, Let's see. Uh, the bars are a member of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. The couple was content to hide chocolate eggs from their chil- for their chil- for the children to find on Easter, play games, and buy them Easter dresses. But this did not satisfy the support worker. Remember, now we're talking about a new one who insisted that they go out of their way to instill a belief in their sp- uh, in the special power of the Easter Bunny as an essential part of Canadian culture. Their crew recounted an awkward meeting with the worker where she told the bars they were required to affirm the existence of EB and SC with the worker using the initials for Easter Bunny and Santa Claus as the children were present. We said we would neither confirm nor deny the existence of these two mythical creatures, but we were not prepared to lie, Derek said. Soon after, the two girls in their care were removed. Now look. I understand the need for an organization like CES. This last story we just got through, the one I was just talking about, somebody really dropped the ball there. And I was listening to it on the on the radio on the way in, and even some of the RCMP were are still in shock over it, that one of their own could have done this. Okay, so sometimes and I, I think CES does some good work, but far too often we hear horror stories like that. We hear stories about how they act as if they are God and they will decide uh, what's in the best interest of the child, even though there's nothing in there's been cases of healthy families torn apart by these people. Anyway, the point is you don't change the rules on people once you're halfway through. It's like if you're playing baseball or hockey and you got to the second intermission and said, oh, by the way, we get to have seven skaters. You only get to have four. What? We didn't agree to that. Too bad, too bad. That's the way it is. You don't change the rules halfway through the game. Anyway, so um, the couple have passed a home study after numerous interviews and home visits and were approved as foster parents. So I could go on. But the point is, it seems that when it's up to the individual caseworker, and this is why I'm really beginning to wonder about what qualifications you have to have to be a caseworker in these particular scenarios. Do, what degree do you have to have? Shouldn't you have a have to have a degree of common sense? You know, a degree of flexibility a little bit. This is in no way endangering the health and well-being of the of the children. This isn't like they're not being fed properly. This isn't like they're sleeping in a barn. You know, this is just the couple saying we're not going to we're not going to lie just to perpetrate a cultural event. We're not going to do that. And they said, okay, you don't have to. So whoever this new one is has really crossed the line here. It's a, another one of those stories that just lights my head on fire. 
Okay, there is uh, another story I want to get into. Oh, yes. Okay, David Menzies has a piece uh, from The Rebel, and um, it's very interesting. I'm going to play you a piece of it. The whole piece is nine minutes long. I have it up on my website. I'm on the Facebook page if you want to go and listen to it. It's really worth the read because everybody, a lot of people are saying, look, Patrick Brown is the problem. Patrick Brown this, Patrick Brown that. And they're right. I think that Patrick Brown is his own worst enemy. I think that he is conservatives, uh, the, the conservative movement's own, uh, biggest enemy in Ontario right now. And there are huge problems with what's going on in the PC party of Ontario. Now, I went down to King Vaughn last week to see this particular event and um, watch this interview being taped that you're about to hear. Okay, so I know that what's being said in this interview is correct. And I was in the building, too. And as a matter of fact, we have, if you remember last week, we interviewed um, both Constantine um, Tobus and um, Roman Evchuk, the president of the Riding Association, on this show last week to talk about this. Well, uh, <clears throat> let me play you a little bit of that interview, just a couple of minutes of it. This is um, uh, Mr. Menzies talking to Jay Tysick whose name you should recognize if you've been around here. He was uh, a candidate, wanted to become the candidate for the Conservative Party of Ontario uh, in the riding of Carleton and was um, summarily dismissed on the flimsiest of reasons. Um, and this is just more of the same. So here's a, a little slice of that interview. Oh, hang on now. i got to get set up for it or it's not going to work. <clears throat> Technology is great when you use it right. All right, let me throw the button. Indeed, for Jay Tsik, what happened in King Vaughn last week was deja vu all over again. That's because a similar thing happened to him in the writing of Carlton. So what's going on here? They're really just removing people with real conservative values and putting in uh, people who are liberal or NDP. I mean, we've seen a number of nominations that have been highly suspect, have been challenged, have been uh, brought up in the media, very outspoken, where actual Liberal Party members are being given the seat and conservative people are being kicked out. I think this is a strategy to, I, I think Patrick is basically replacing the party's values with uh, those on the left. It all seems so baffling with the popularity of the Ontario Liberals in freefall. Why would a progressive conservative leader want to make the PC party more like the Liberal Party? I understand that these Liberals are seeing the writing on the wall. They see that all these agendas they've worked so hard for, with, like you said, the Liberal Party being so wildly unpopular, they're not going to win the next election. So they're trying to infiltrate this party so they can keep their agenda and programs moving forward. I understand the Liberals try and do that. What I can't understand is why the leader of this party is helping them to do that. And he really is. He's getting involved to make sure that they get into these seats. All right, let me hold Let me hold the conversation there uh, because I think Jay makes some good points. I think it's pretty obvious that uh, Mr. Brown is trying to swing the party hard to the left, and all that does is creates four left-wing parties in this province instead of three with one on the right. All right, so I'm going to take a, a, a bit of a break but while we're on the break, here's what I want you to do. Because there's one thing to complain. It's, look, we can sit here and complain all day long, okay? And, there, and there's no reason why I don't think for a moment that we're not going to stop, that we're going to stop pointing out uh, the, the things that are going wrong 
in uh, different parties, not just the PCs, but we also talk about liberals here, believe it or not. Um, it's just getting hard to tell them apart. So while we over the break, I want you to take a moment and think, if I were the one calling the shots, what would be the major planks in my platform? What do I want to see as a conservative? What are the things that I want uh, in a party that I would vote for? Okay, if you're going to, if you were, if you were in Patrick Brown, let's put you in Patrick Brown's shoes. Never mind what he's done. Never mind what he said. You are now the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. How are you going to address things like immigration? And yes, if Quebec can have immigration control, so can we. If they, uh, how are you going to deal with the debt? How are you going to deal with health, uh, the healthcare system? How are you going to deal with? Um, uh, Education, uh, infrastructure, the green energy plan, hydro rates, all these things that a provincial government is responsible for. What do you want to see? What what would cause you to go, okay, that's conservative. So you get to be the one to call the shots. You get to be the one to write down. So take a piece of paper and a pen, scribble them down. You can either send them to me, like I said, through email. Uh, You can send it to me on Facebook if you want. I prefer a phone call. That would be great. 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. So you listen to this, and while you're listening to that, take a moment, write it down, give me a call, or communicate with me in some way, and we'll go over what you think it's going to take to get Ontario back on the right track. And I say the right cheek and you know the pun is intended in other words let's put it that way all right so you listen to this and we'll be back with more in just a few moments So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and you'll be fine.
Now, Nick at Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at LateNightCouncil.com, or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him, and of course I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you're, you're, we've we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now back to Nick at Night. Right. So three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. Give me a call. Let's talk about this now. While you are picking up the phone and getting ready to dial, let me throw another little piece of fuel on the fire. Because if you think it's just me that's complaining all the time about Patrick Brown and how unconservative he is, well, David Reevely seems to have an interesting opinion on it too and he has a story in the national post let me share just a little bit of that with you as well federal tory leadership candidate kevin o'leary is against pricing carbon dioxide emissions to fight climate change provincial tory leader patrick brown is in favor of it which puts leeds grenville mpp stephen clark a tory who backs both guys in a delicate position clark became one of o'leary's highest profile supporters in ontario on friday I think Patrick and Kevin and I all agree that Kathleen Wynne's carbon tax, job-killing carbon tax, is nothing more than a $2 billion cash grab every year, Clark said. The reality is Patrick Brown, when he's elected premier in 2018, he'll dismantle Kathleen Wynne's cap-and-trade plan. At that point, things will get tricky. Brown wants to replace it with a model that reduces Ontario's emissions in Ontario, cuts taxes, and protects, protects the Ontario economy. A year year ago, at a convention in Ottawa, Brown stunned the room by announcing he supports putting a price on carbon dioxide emissions with the goal of reducing them because they're contributing to climate change. He might as well have promised a windmill on every lawn and a tofu in every pot. So imagine you've got two federal parties in this country, or federal parties, two conservative in in name at least conservative parties in this country, the federal Tories and the provincial progressive conservatives. And on one hand, if you're if you're like Mr. Clark or a lot of us, you support them both. But how are you supposed to support a party on one hand on the federal side that's against carbon taxes and a provincial side on the other that's for it? It's so bad that there's a lawyer out there who was running, and his name is Jim, and I can't pronounce, uh, Karaha, Karaha, I can't even say it. Anyway, uh, he was going to run, very high-profile um, um, person in his riding, and was most likely going to win the candidacy and the seat. And he said, no, I can't do this. I cannot in good conscience support a party that supports a carbon tax. Because, first of all, it's tearing conservatives apart. It's causing this whole problem that we're facing now. Because how do you support it on, the, say, it's a bad thing on the federal side, but it's a good thing on the, on the provincial side? That's 
that's the ultimate in, in, in hypocrisy. This is, it's, it's more than just understand something. That it's more than just conservatives like, you know, the, the uh, hardcore conservatives, SOCONs as, as they're more affectionately known, crying and whining about losing sway within a party. It's a lot more than that. Because they're not the only ones pointing this out, as David Reevely makes clear in his column today. He says, <clears throat> anyway, I don't understand how you can have Patrick Brown on one hand. And a few years ago, he said, there's no way Ontario will ever have a carbon tax if I'm the premier. That was in 2013, I think. Now he's saying, oh, yeah, absolutely got to have one. So what does he believe? What does he believe? How are we supposed to know? Was he lying then or is he lying now? Okay, so back to this idea about what you want to see in a, um, a conservative platform. Well, you know, there's the traditional things, okay, like smaller government, reducing taxes, business-friendly, okay? These kind of things you would think are the hallmarks of, of the conservative movement in Canada. But in Ontario, those things can't be found. They're not in there. How is Patrick Brown going to be able to protect the environment, uh, lower greenhouse gases, boost the economy, and do all the other things that he was talking about, and still put a price on carbon? It's like mixing oil and water and expecting a good result. So, for me, if I was if I was to pick it, uh, n- number one thing, okay, first of all, no carbon tax, period. As a matter of fact, I would go the other way. I would repeal not only carbon taxes, but I would cut taxes pretty th- dramatically for people in Ontario. I would cut the gas tax. Take five or ten cents off the top on that. Gas is now almost, if you convert it to the old imperial system, uh, let's see, at $1.25, that's five bucks a gallon. So you're almost at $5 a gallon for gasoline right now in Ontario. If you got a 10-gallon tank, that's 50 bucks just to fill it. It's just outrageous. So if you want to, I know I've used this example before, but there's, uh, if, you don't know, if you don't know, there was a gentleman by the name of Ray Kroc, and he was the founder of McDonald's, and he had an attitude about how to make money. He said, look, I can either take 100% of the profit of one hamburger, or I can take one half of 1% of the profit of a million of them. Which one do I make? Which one makes me more money? Even though the numbers sound higher with the you know on the one burger, yeah, hundred percent, it's only going to get you a dollar. But if you took one half of one percent of a million of them, you'd have hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, if the government understood that or cared about it, see, this is this is why taxation is not about providing services; it's about control. It's always been about control. If the government really wanted to stimulate the economy, they would lower taxes and make money on the volume of income that's generated and still has to generate taxes. Okay? That's the way that this should be looked at. But nope. So that's number the first thing I do. The environment, oh my good Lord, where do I start? I would cancel and close all conservation authorities in Ontario. Bingo. Game over. They're done. I would throw in any UN regulation that isn't 
mandated from the federal government. I have to stay within my jurisdictional boundaries. But no U.N. Um, policies are, are to be implemented in Ontario. We'll look after our own environment. Thank you very much. The Green Energy Act, gone. I would allow uh, our power grid to return to a, um, a local PUC kind of an idea where each area is responsible for its own power. So my grandfather worked for Leamington Public Utilities Commission for years. He was a linesman. And they, had, they took care of their own part of the grid, and every locality looked after their own. In other words, you wouldn't have this monstrosity called Ontario Hydro or Hydro One, whatever it's called now. And I know Bob Shirelli would say, oh, the hydro grid is so sophisticated that you're too stupid to understand it. I don't need to understand exactly how it works. There's smarter people than I am that I could employ to sort that out. And I wouldn't pay them $5 million a year. So anyway, these are just a few of my ideas. I'm curious to hear what you think. 343-700-4390. I'm going to bring Mike on. Mike is in the studio tonight as a bit of a treat. So, uh... Mike, if you does your headphone work? Do you have to come in here? You want to come in? <laughs> I thought he's got his own headset on. I didn't know if his mic worked or not, but we'll get him set up and bring him in because I'm sure he's chomping at the bit. Want to get in on this? All right. There's your headphones. There's a microphone. See, we can do this. All right. Just set that right there. Okay. So. Um, I'm not sure. Did you hear the last few comments? Uh, I was. Uh, I'm like about 30 seconds behind on the live feed, so I was uh, catching up. Okay. But I was agreeing wholeheartedly with much of your reduction of massive government. Yes. And, oh, that's the other thing I would do is get rid of the LCBO. <laughs> this, this is this. I was interrupting too much. They stuck me in the other room, so I couldn't. <laughs> so I couldn't do that anymore. I had to come all the way in. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, he's in tonight as a bit of a treat. So we're glad to have him in the studio. Um, so, if you were writing the, if you were going to write the policy, uh, if you were going to write uh, the, pla- the, the, the 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 platform is the word I'm looking for, uh, for a conservative party, give me one or two planks that you would insist be involved in it, be, be in it. First and foremost, God has to be first in everything. We are a Judeo-Christian society. Our liberty all comes from that. There is no unalienable rights if there is no God. Hang on. Let me turn your mic on. Oh, try try oh, that again. Whoa. <laughs> try that okay. again. Wow. Okay, so we're a bit hot. Maybe turn that down just a tad. All right. No, no. Turn uh, knob two. Yep, just a little bit. Okay, that's good. We didn't want to kill everybody there. Um, okay, first and foremost, God has to be first. It, we are a Judeo-Christian society. If you believe as a conservative in, in unalienable rights, those come from God. They don't come from man. If there is no God, then what do rights come from? What's a right? We just, what, all decided on stuff? We, well, then if that's the case, then what was wrong with what the Nazis did to the Jews? They decided they wanted to off a bunch of Jews. They voted on it. What was wrong with slavery? If they were in the minority, too bad for them. What was wrong with uh, women's suffrage? Too bad for them. You, so either, of course, everybody listening to this is saying there's no way. That's because there are some things we don't get to vote on. Those are unalienable rights. They are above man. We are not in a position to grant them or take them away. All right. Let me, let me, let me, um, okay. Here's the question becomes, okay, if, if that's what you want, yep. how do you go about doing that 
in practical terms? Because there's a lot of people out there who are not Christian and do not uh, would find uh, those remarks to be. And I'm not one of them. I'm mm-hmm, just saying mm-hmm. that, that you know we have to recognize that uh, Canada is made up of more than just one one group. I agree that the Judeo-Christian ethic needs to be supported. Well, let's put it this way. I don't like the term separation of church and state. I've been banging away on that for several years now. That You're quoting a Ku Klux Klan guy, a progressive, um, who wanted all of God completely out of the mix. That is not what uh, Jefferson meant when he used it. That's not what the First Amendment of the states meant. Uh, the First Amendment of the state says that the government shall make no establishment of religion nor prohibit the free exercise thereof. Right. In other words, in other words, even if you're not a Christian, you're the government's not going to force you to be one. They're not going to force you to go to church. They're not going to pick the church for you, and they're not going to prevent you from going to the one you want to. But I, I've, I've read the founders. I've read, I mean, people need to look up uh, Benjamin Franklin's speech at the Constitutional Convention. That was the literal forming of their new constitution and government. Five weeks in, they were getting nowhere. He stands up, he says, if we try to do this without putting God first, and I'm paraphrasing him, you can read the speech, uh, we're going to fare no better than the builders of Babel. They were all different denominations in that room. They agreed to get a pastor in there from anywhere. They didn't care at that point. They submitted themselves back to God. Remember, their declaration, the king of England was the most powerful man in the world at that time. They were the most powerful nation. He was the most powerful man. Who the heck do you appeal to above him if he's breaking the rules? God. That's how they even start their country, by appealing to the Lord They said that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among which include life, liberty, and property. But in the back of my head... That in order to secure those rights, we form governments. Governments are only formed to secure those rights. There is no rights without any of that. So that's why I say it's a proper understanding of where our rights come from. There are no atheist societies anywhere that have ever respected people's rights. You want to know what atheist society looks like? Try try Russia. Try Marx. Try Hitler. These are people that don't value the kinds of things we do because if there is no God, then man is going to appoint himself. Somebody is going to rise to the top and say, might makes right, or there's more of us than you, or I'm more powerful than you, or I'm more evolved than you. That's sort of the Hegel argument. Again, Hegel influenced Hitler. He influenced Nietzsche. He influenced Marx. He influenced the progressive movement. These people see themselves as gods or guardians. They want to protect you from yourself. They want you to have total control. As a matter of fact, Woodrow Wilson at one point argued uh, in one of his uh, papers or speeches that uh, you know tyranny used to be a bad thing. Because we, you know, people would abuse it. But now, you know, that's a, it's a good thing because we've evolved to the next level. In other words, he's like homo superior, sort of like the X-Men, right? He sees, they see themselves as superiors to the rest of us. All right, well, let and me... they're going to, they feel it's their duty and responsibility on this earth to enslave the rest of us for our own good like a bunch of sheep. Okay. So let that's me, let what, me... this is why I'm saying this but is let important. Me, let me backpedal a little bit. Sure. Because while... I'm not arguing with anything you're saying, but I'm just pointing out that a lot of people would hear this and say, okay, wait a minute. That's the American experience. We're Canadian. We come from a, we come from a common heritage, but our experience in the formation of our country and in uh, the way that our founding documents were written 
rejected uh, that. Was it yes and no? Yes, it, they it, did it and did. they didn't. But yep. the point I'm making is you're drawing on the American experience. No, I'm drawing on liberty. That American Declaration is a universal declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident. They didn't give themselves the rights. They just said, we recognize that everybody born on the earth has this. If we believe in... So this is like a fundamental starting point. If we believe in rights, because a lot of people like throwing that term around, rights. Well, what is a right? Is a right something that we decided on, that we vote on, or is it something more than us? Is there something more than us? Okay, if there so isn't, I, get, I get your point yeah. that you want to re- – let's, let's say that you want to return to our Judeo-Christian foundation. Correct. How that – the mechanics of how that works is yet to be determined. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think one of the things I would do is put the Ten Commandments back on every high school wall in the country. Well, where do you think don't murder and don't uh, like, steal? This precisely. is where our it's, law comes This from. is what I mean by the Judeo-Christian ethic. Why do you think we have a seven-day work week Why or a seven-day week? Why do you think Sundays are off and also Saturdays? Because Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, Christian Sabbath on Sunday. Right. Hence the weekend and okay, seven so days and so on. Plank and, number two. Yep. Plank number two, and this – I – Move this up a little bit, but uh, no more progressivism. That's done. Okay, progressivism now, is leftism. That was I asked you on one of the breaks. I just asked you quickly. A, have you ever heard of the Satanic Church of Christ? <laughs> no, of, of course, course not. not. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. They're both opposite ideas. There's no Jewish Nazi. I don't understand conservative progressive or progressive conservative. It makes no sense. The progressive movement was founded. I'm, re- I'm talking the founders of the movement, Woodrow Wilson. These are people we're following, whether you realize it or not. Their goal, just like Marx, was to free you from your liberty. Do you want to be freed from your liberty, from your rights, from your traditions? Okay, but I hear that. But what I'm trying to get you to do yeah. is say, okay, that's what I want. Here's, how I'm go- here's what I think we need to do to do that. Yeah. Well, then – we abandoned the progressive movement. That is a left-wing... Okay, but that's, so, that's vague and nebulous. Put it in concrete terms. You say we, we, we get away... We want to get away from the... Progr- and I agree with you. Progressivism yeah. is a bad thing. And okay? it's all about growing and big government. That's, that's another thing. That's one of the big problems with it. Exactly. But what I'm trying to get you to, to say is mm-hmm. when you say that, what does that look like in real time? Um, well... You got a caller? Do you want to take All right, a call? Yeah, let's take the call. We'll take want? the call and see what they have to say. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? Good evening. This is GJ Hagenass. I uh, I was just listening and I was thoroughly enjoying the discussion that is going on, well, Nick. Thank you. So thanks very much for uh, for doing that healthy uh, endorsement of the libertarian platform because <laughs> we do have a party that actually stands for all the things that you're you're you're, you're talking about. Uh, unfortunately, we, we don't get a lot of donations, we don't get a lot of volunteers, and not a lot of votes, because I don't know why, but we're, we're the only party out there that is loud, loudly declaring that we need small government, that we need to get rid of all these things that are uh, hampering and are in the way of our freedom. Um, but uh, nobody seems to want to vote for us, though. Well, uh, I'll let Mike have a shot at this in a minute. Uh, I think part of the part of the mm-hmm. challenge that the Libertarian Party faces, and this is just my observation, uh, it's not based on any scientific research or anything. It's just one, you know, from the different contacts that people, when they hear the word libertarian, think, and forgive me for saying so, but they they and maybe they just don't understand, but they think uh, the acts 
absolute opposite of progressivism, which is anarchy, mm-hmm. where you guys don't want any controls. You want every man to be his own little fortress. And and I'm probably I'm trying not to. I'm just trying to give you what my perception of what people think is. Because I know a number of libertarians, yeah. and I don't think they go that far, but the percep- perception is reality. So when somebody says, I'm a libertarian... Yeah, and, 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 and I think... Yeah, I, I think I think you're right there, and it's it's something that I've uh, when I joined the Ontario Libertarian Party, we 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 fought some internal battles there too, but um, the the folks who have that kind of opinion, they are they're not really found anymore. We 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 cleaned house. If you look at our current platform, which actually was um, uh, which was approved by by the caucus um, uh, yesterday. Um, all the things that you talk that, that that we talk about, none of it says we need to get rid of government. What we need to say is we need to have more competition with you know the services, and I put quotes around that of what what government is providing, so that you know if it is so good, like you know all the leftists say you know government ought to, and then fill in the blank. Then well, if it is that good, let it compete. Let's see what the market can 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 bring here without you know even dismantling everything right from the get go. I think we can get there, but we can do that you know one step at a time. Well, let me ask um, you, something. you know, for instance, with with hydro, we we have a plan to cut the rates by down to half of what they are right now. Okay, well, what does it mean? It needs a couple of yeah. Go ahead. It, now, under the present circumstances, I know the answer to this question before I ask it, but. If there was uh, a proper conservative party in this province, someone because you, you're you're not what you're talking about are things a lot of conservatives would go, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But by conservative, you mean I'm like talking cons- real like, conservatives, like I'm Reagan not, type. Yes, okay. Reagan s conservatives. Okay. I'm talking about small c conservatives yeah. who I mean, want smaller Mil- government, Milton, less Milton Freeman. Yeah, the Milton Friedman. Yeah, from Milton, Milton Friedman, Milton Friedman and, his, yes. and his view of, of, of economics is, exactly. is, you know, a large part of what we stand for. Okay, so the question then becomes, uh, because look, as a, as a small, and I, I, I don't mean this with, with, I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but as a small fringe party, wouldn't it be better to blend your forces together, your resources, with, our, uh, if such a party existed, a real solid conservative party? Because the goal isn't to get the libertarians elected or any other party elected. It's to have good governance in the province. That's the goal. True? Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, you know a little bit of my, about my background. I was, I was active in the, uh, the, the, the PC party, even you know, with volunteering and, and working on, on campaigns. Mm-hmm. And what I saw is stuff that I didn't like, basically because... The things that I say, okay, you know, I can probably put up with this if you know you you do the right things. The right things never really happen. Well, that's why um, I'm using there, there the caveat. The, the divide between left, the divide between left and right. I think we're 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 away from that. We 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 are now working towards a divide between the people who want to grow government and people who want to limit government. Well, see, I would call so it left. So to me, right. I I look at I look at the PC party right now, and I see very little difference between. What Patrick Brown is talking about, well, and what Kathleen Wynne is talking about, and what Andrea Horvath is talking about, but it's that to me that is not a difference—a difference between left and right. But to me, that is a difference between they want to, you know, say, you know, as long as we are in charge, everything will be fine. And I'm thinking, I don't want anybody in charge. You're okay. not qualified I'm to like, make decisions on my behalf. Okay, I'm and there is no party that says that, apart from. The libertarians. Okay, go ahead. There are some other, you know, small parties, but we're we're the, we're now the fifth party, and okay. we're going to run a full slate, which means you know we we fall 
I just had a couple we, we questions fall under, for under you. the, the, the heavy rules of uh, elections Ontario now. I just had a couple questions for you. Like, you, when you talk yeah. limited government and and uh, liberty, you're right. And especially when you preface like Milton Friedman, that is somebody I get behind. I really like Milton Friedman, and I I like certain libertarians. But understand that in the American libertarian movement, first off, most of the libertarian movement rejected the Constitution, okay? That's why people like Mark LeFin will often refer to them as Confederates. That's what he's actually talking about. They're embracing the Articles of Confederation, which almost led to the, government, uh, to the United States collapsing. That's why they had the Constitutional Convention. That's number one. Number two, some of the libertarians, the movement has been largely influenced now by more the Ron Paul, the Murray Rothbard crowd. And I believe they've even taken to calling themselves the anarchist wing of the of the of the libertarians. That's that's another side of it. And and they get a little bit kind of screwy. Their idea of limited government, to them, uh Abraham Lincoln was the worst president in the history of the world. They they hate Reagan. So I mean these are they they, they and they're out there they literally publicly uh, applauded Khrushchev. So they got some. They got some messed yeah, up I, ideas. I think, you know what I mean? I think you're, I think you're talking about a fringe group on a fringe yeah, group. Yeah, <laughs> but but unfortunately, they run in the libertarian. They they dominate a lot of the libertarian. Now, my other my one thing where you really start to lose uh, conservatives with, uh, and I, by conservatives, I'm not talking Tory. I'm more of a Reagan type. Okay, but where you guys start to change for me with your, I, I agree with most of your arguments about limited government. But where we start to go afoul of each other is when we get to the right to life, because then they start to believe that is a right of abortion. But here's the thing. Without life, liberty, and property, as a, you, all three of those have to exist for any of them to exist. You can't remove one without them all collapsing, okay? So if you have the right to life, you don't have the right to take the life. Abortion is not a right. That person inside the, the, the woman is a human life okay it's it's not you can't you can give it euphemisms all day long but once you take that right away from that person you're now into selective rights abraham lincoln argued very much a similar thing if you go back and you know look up uh, the lincoln douglas debates can you I, can find can it I, can, I and he can, makes, I, can i can i respond to that yeah, yeah sure. go ahead i completely agree with him <laughs> Good. And here's <laughs> We're the making thing. progress. In, yes. In, in, but in the, yeah, no, no. In the Libertarian, in the libertarian uh, Party, there, there's a federal one and there's an Ontario one. I'm more involved with the, with the provincial one. Okay. Um, there, is, there is that debate that goes on, too, and not everyone agrees with it. There are many pro-life libertarians. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. We see, and if I look at this problem, abortion is going to exist. It is going to happen. There's, you know, you can, you can outlaw anything. But, you know, there are, there are people who are going to do it for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to get into, in, into that part of it. But what we have right now is we have so many regulations that it essentially it has come down to, you know, a, um, a, a, a fetus, an unborn child, has become a liability. And a large part of that has to do, again, is with government regulations. Well, because, you know, the moment the child is born, then you are responsible for it, and it's an, it's an economic reliability. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it, it, it uh, reduces, the, you know, the, the, your, your opportunity for earning stuff. So, you know, there's, there's all this, this uh, government regulation around it um, that doesn't help. And here's the other thing. There are many, many couples in, 
in Canada who want to adopt. And it is hard to do that. And the reason it's hard to do that is, again, because of regulation. If you make that easier... And, and you, you make, for instance, you know, if you want to adopt, it is okay to, p- to pay, uh, you know, $10,000 to a lawyer and to go, um, you know, and, and, and to, to, to pay many professionals to do home studies and all kinds of other stuff. But you are not allowed to spend a dime on a person who is pregnant because they say, oh, you know, that would be unethical. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why? Someone who carries a baby to term, I mean, they call it labor for a reason, right? Why is there not a, a valuation you can put on that? And if, if a couple says, you know what, I will, I will you know, pay um, uh, someone not to have an abortion, but to carry it to term, and I will adopt that baby, and I will pay for that. Why can't the mother who is carrying that baby to term, why can't they be compensated yeah. for the effort they put Listen, in for this? That makes a lot it's, more it's sense. disallowed by government. Yeah, exactly. that makes a lot so more if sense. you want to fix that, if you, if you want to fix that, get the government out of this. Exactly, I agree. That's okay. the first step. That makes a when lot you do that, you, you reduce the need. Okay. You reduce the need for for abortion. No. Now we can start pushing that a lot further. Okay, let me right. Let so me there are back. there are ways that we can tackle this. Okay, let me go back. And, but here's just, here's the other thing. There's not a lot you can do about this at the at the provincial level. This is, this more happens at the at the federal level because that's where most of that stuff happens. Okay, let me, but the provinces, the provinces, they have a lot of regulations that that deal with this. Okay, let me. I want yeah. to come back anyway, to ahead. this this idea. Uh, when I was talking earlier about uh, supporting a real conservative party, I, I specifically said a true conservative party, not the conservative progressive conservative party of Ontario. I think that's a hardcore left wing organization now. I don't have any. You know, I I really don't see. Um, unless something dramatic happens really fast, I don't see any chance of them winning because it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And even if they do win, that's as no. much a disaster as if they don't win. So there's no no good option there. But if there was, let's say somebody did come in and turn yank that thing hard to the right, like it's like it needs to be. That's what I was talking about. It was a a good solid conservative party with a good platform. Would you, as a libertarian, to increase the chances of getting a good solid uh, smaller government? Small C conservative government in place that we all think this province needs to go in that direction. Would you can would the Libertarian Party at least consider joining forces? You you think there is a um, a, a Max a Maxime Bernier equivalent here in Ontario? It's a hypothetical question. It's a it's a <laughs> hypothetical question. Okay, because I don't okay. know who's here's, out there. Here's, here's, well, <clears throat> I I have supported the PC party in the past, and I have become disillusioned with the process, with the way things are going. You know, you, you see the, the stuff that's happening with the, the candidate nominations. Yeah. I, um, so, so that party, I don't think is, is capable of doing it. And if you're saying, you know, suppose there is another party that comes along that has those principles, and I'm thinking, I already am with that party that has those principles. So come to us. All right. Well, that said, I have to stop We're there, there already. because I'm over time for a break. But thank you very much for your call. It was great. I Fair enjoyed enough. it. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, that was a great call. Okay, we'll take a we'll take a break. We'll come back with more right after this.
encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in, in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra. Eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same way. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches with Fix-It Right the first time. One of these days I'll get this blasted thing figured out so I'm not playing commercials and music all over each other. <laughs> okay, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here. I'm just going to move that mic. Hang on there, Mike. Okay. You know, there's a story, and this is not a new story. It's about the uh, problems with security at the Montreal Trudeau Airport. Got it. Anyway, I won't get into that. Anyway, let me just read to you. This, this comes from Vlad Tepes, uh, the blog. And this is out of the, from the Canadian press uh, out of Ottawa. The security cards of three more employees of the Montreal Trudeau Airport have been suspended, confirmed Transport Minister Mark Garneau on Monday, without specifying the reasons. These three employees, therefore, no longer have access to the safe area of the airport, but are still working there. Two weeks ago, I asked my department to look at the protocols and the risk factors that exist at the airport. We do this every now and then, and at every airport, and there are people who have had their security clearance temporarily withdrawn because we are investigating certain details. The minister added that the safety rating of these employees will remain lower for the duration of this investigation. I cannot give you spe specific <coughs> specifics for obvious reasons, but I can confirm. This is the minister talking, but I can confirm that we do it from time to time. <sighs> okay. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, these guys had the security tags pulled because they were watching um, – ISIS videos and talking about shooting down airplanes and all kinds of nonsense, and they didn't fire them. They took away the security cards and moved them to a safe place in the airport. It's an airport. You're dealing with hundreds of thousands of people, and you're going to say that, well, we won't let them handle baggage. We'll let them check it at the counter. We'll let them sweep the sidewalk outside. How about you fire them? How about you say, guys, it's been nice. Get off my airport. They're too much of a security risk. Look, I, I don't care if somebody poses a security risk. Whether You know what? This is just more head-in-the-sand, fuzzy, feel-good nonsense that gets people killed. That gets people killed. Anyway, it's yet another case after the... It's yet another case after the case of two other employees at the airport whose security card was suspended because they showed signs of radicalization, as revealed by a report on the show J.E. last week. The 16,000 employees who have access to the airport's secure area are reviewed every 24 hours in light of the information contained in a police database, Mark Garneau said, a procedure that has existed for a long time. More than a thousand people lost their access cards, or simply have. Look, this is different than running in. Uh, these people, if they're showing signs of radicalization, don't you think they go to the top of the list of people you don't want at the airport? Isn't that why you do security checks in the first place? Can I ask a stupid question? Only with your mic on. <laughs> Hang on, let me turn it on. Nope. I think now we're on. There we are. Um, are there any? Jobs at the parliament that are in the non-secure areas that they could be given jobs? Uh, probably uh, sweeping the floor outside Mark Arnold's office. Like, wouldn't that be fair? Dumping his gash. 
your garbage is. Uh, if I they're, say. I mean, if these guys are safe, upstanding people, shouldn't they be working where you know the people hey, who trust them? Maybe security detail over twenty four Sussex. Yeah, if they're so trustworthy. Sure. Well, I mean, he's right into that, so why why not? I just this kind of stuff is enough to make me look. You know what? I care about Canada so much that I don't care who has to lose their job in order to protect it. I don't care about affirmative action. I don't give a rip about immigration policy. When it comes to the safety and security of this country's citizens, that should trump. You know what? It's all—it's ridiculous I even have to say this. This is the prime minister's primary job. is the protection of Canadian citizens. And over and over and over again, he has shown a callous disregard. Oh, there was a story in the in the in the media tonight. Um, I didn't get a chance to post it, but the Filipino was the Filipino government killed some of the ringleaders who beheaded those Canadians a year ago down in the in the Philippines. The Filipino government did. What do we? What role do we play? Now it is possible, and I grant you this: it is possible that either. Um, CSOR, which is one of our elite tactical units, or JTF-2 played a role. They don't tell us where they are or what they're doing, and I can understand why. Let's be honest. We already know the liberals are incredibly sympathetic with radical Islam. Well, that was where I was going next. But given their, their history about dealing with radical Islam, they probably... I mean, they're no different. They're no different than what was going on in, again in the states. This is why liberalism is not an American Canadian uh, tyranny. Is not American Canadian. This is the same everywhere. Liberty is liberty. Tyranny is tyranny. And these people, just like in the states, are very friendly, very anti-Semitic, very pro-radical Islam. Uh, they don't seem to have a big problem with it. If you, if this guy was a Christian handing out a flyer, we'd be in big trouble. But uh, or watch out if you don't make a stupid cake for somebody. Okay, I'm going to hold you there because I want to play a video clip. This is Tucker Carlson, and this is worth it. Folks, this clip is about five minutes long, a little over five, uh, but it's worth it. He's And I'm just setting up the mic here while I talk. He is – I don't know if you know who Tucker Carlson is, but I like him. He's He's got his head screwed on straight, and he doesn't pull punches. He does a, a TV talk show, and he interviews people is what he does. And sometimes he gets people he agrees with, and sometimes he doesn't. He's got this young white female who is part of the Antifa crowd. Uh, the refuse fascism. Uh, she's an. How do I put it? She is an organizer for the refuse fascism um, uh, organization. Okay, and Tucker's talking to her and trying to get her to explain herself. So I'm going to turn that mic on. Turn mine off and let you listen to this because you are not going to believe what comes out of this young woman's mouth. Organizer with refused fascism. Hey, sir, thanks for joining us. So I was reading your um, your manifesto tonight, and and you said this: the Trump regime is a fascist regime. No insults or exaggeration. That's what it is. For the future of humanity and the planet, we the people must drive this regime out. So I'm assuming you're not a, a moderate necessarily, but the obvious question arises, which is: if it's a fascist regime, how are you on this show? Look, Donald, we're facing an emergency. Humanity yeah. is facing an emergency. A fascist regime has seized the reins of power in the most powerful, actually the sole superpower in the world. The Trump and Pence are operating out of Hitler's playbook, only they have nuclear weapons. 
And what RefuseFascism.org is saying to the world is that while it's beautiful, it's righteous that millions of people have stood up in protest and continue to do so. And by the way, since I know he sometimes watches, President Trump, if you're watching, way more people have protested than were at your Nazi inauguration. But while this is beautiful, this resistance needs to grow, and people need to confront that this is a fascist regime that could drop the hammer and close down. It's working aggressively to close down the space for people to stand up and resist. And so in the name of humanity, seven billion on this planet, we need to pour into the streets and say, no, we refuse to accept a fascist America. We refuse to accept this for the world, and we must drive them out. We need to stay it, in the streets. I mean, so many questions come to mind, but the obvious one is this. I always thought that the day somebody got up, a Republican, and said, you know what, we got to focus on jobs, no more pointless wars in the Middle East, and by the way, I'm a secular guy, they would say, you know, it's kind of my kind of Republican. You a, know? I mean, a man who campaigned and said, I long for the days when protesters were dragged out on stretchers, who offered to pay the bills of people who assaulted protesters at his rally. Donald Trump is a fascist. That's okay. out of Hitler's playbook. This is, so, this is a danger to humanity. Okay, so the, and yes, it's in its early that, stages, but people okay. need to rise up and stop it before it is too late. Okay, so but uh, I want to get to that. Rise up and stop it. So I'm assuming that... I mean, you're not serious. I mean, this is like play acting for you. If you really thought he was Hitler, if you really believed that he was acting according to, as you said, the playbook of Hitler, then you wouldn't stop with going on a cable show. I mean, you'd go all the way, wouldn't you? I mean, you don't really think that. You'd be committing acts of violence, right? I absolutely think. Actually, he's not like Hitler. He has a Twitter feed. He has that ugly orange thing on top of his head. And he has nuclear weapons, the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world. And people better wake up because he is more dangerous than Hitler ever but could have you, been. But if you, I mean, let's just Absolutely. be real for a second. I know we're on TV, but let's be real. Hold on, hold on, really hold on, hold on. You implied, you implied something, and I want to answer it. You implied that I'm going to do something that's untoward, whatever. I'm calling for mass political protest and resistance building on what's happened and staying in the streets in the name of humanity before the man starts he asked three times if i have nukes why can't i use them no, I this can is see the your, mass I, incineration of human uh, okay, beings on an I get industrial it. I can scale see that you're, i can see your against here. humanity but let's just be more specific because i, I want to take you seriously i assume you're being serious hard as it is to believe when you use rhetoric like he's hitler he's going to incinerate the world no i How said are you nuclear weapons him? are the mass incineration of human well, beings sure, on okay. an industrial scale. Oh, sure. You, you think Nukes you can are no big deal world. for you. I know you like to carry water for the liar-in-chief. <laughs> I know you like to justify and rationalize the sexual predator-in-chief. But I don't think this is a joke. This is for humanity, and he is dangerous. But what are you going to do about it, Sinsara? That's my question. Other than, like, jump around in the street with a sign in your hand, okay, no, and write your little manifesto. Refusefascism.org really has a manifesto, as you said. Refusefascism.org, yeah. we say we have four things people should do. They should manifest the no. They should protest every outrage and okay. crime. But we have to have a single unifying objective. And the people who are waking up in this country who are horrified by this man with his finger on the nuclear weapon, we need to recognize that he has to be driven from office through mass political resistance before it is too late. Fascism advances through stages. Okay, Shock, awe, this violence, is silly. You and don't then periods of normalization. It, with political resistance, but whatever, you may not know Actually, that, it would have taken millions and millions to rise up to stop Hitler. It but, absolutely but you, would have. But what do you and think? it's what people should have done. Okay, and it is shameful. I, it is shameful it. for you to dismiss outraged, this. But hold on, I know it's shameful, but let me oh, ask you this. Oh, oh. No, it's funny to your question. So the no, because million... I know you love to carry water for this criminal, okay. this okay. war criminal wannabe in okay. chief. Right. He... 
And it goes on, and it goes on, how, and it goes on. How much do you want to bet she's a, a, a Reaganite? Oh, do, she's not she, a Reaganite. She's a lunatic. No, no. She's all about Milton Friedman. She practically no, sounds no, like No, 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 no. Mike, I am not letting you get away with that. Not in a million years. Milton Friedman will have a conversation with somebody without insulting them, first of all. Secondly, is certainly not opposed to the democratic process. And when his side loses, doesn't call for mass protest in the streets because he's sucking his thumb because they, his side lost. Milton Friedman believed in democracy and the democratic process. This woman is a flaming idiot. Let, let's – a few things. Everybody who's ever heard me on your show or, or uh, John's knows I am not a Trump fan. That's, I am not This a isn't Trump about fan. Trump. No. What she's doing and people like her – To her own detriment, if she's this horrified by the man, she is building this guy. uh, She makes him look sane and rational because she sounds like an idiot. She is an idiot. Of course. But, I mean, rather than letting him, she says, well, it's not too late yet. Look, he is the president. You're going to have to let him govern as the president. For at least four years. Yeah, and... I'm sorry. You can protest things you don't like. I've been protesting things I don't like. I speak out against things I don't like that he does. But acting like an, a jackass on TV isn't going to do nothing. And Calling him Hitler? Yeah, well. Come on. Look, I, I am not saying she should have her right to be stupid taken away from her. Because to me, that's the definition of a democracy. Mm-hmm. You think she'd pull this down in Iran or in Saudi Arabia? No, no. Or exactly. in North Korea? Because those aren't democracies. It's suicide to do it there. Where was she with Obama? What's that? Where was she with Obama? That's a brilliant question. My big beef with Trump is that he's too much like Obama. He is an authoritarian. But if she's all against authoritarians, why are we just hearing about her now? She wasn't around for the last eight years of the the Trump – or, sorry, my Freudian slip. Oh, no. (laughs) Believe me, she's been around. She just liked what she saw. Sure. 343-700-4390, 844-562-4766. Three four three seven zero zero forty three ninety eight four four five six two four seven six six. If you want to give us your opinion, uh, I'm certainly more than willing to take it. The thing about this that drives me out of my mind is, first of all, like I said, a democracy is a safe place to be stupid. So let her be stupid, and it's good on Tucker for having the patience to put up with her. Because that went on for another minute and a half, and I, I saw no point in continuing it because it doesn't get any better. Okay, she just goes on to make herself look like. But the the thing that's important is that there should be uh, some semblance of understanding of how the system works. And it's like when when Trudeau won, that was a huge blow to our country. But people didn't flood the streets. okay, and burn cars and trash businesses like they did when Trump won. Can I can I. One thing I noticed about her, and I noticed this with people like that, okay, and this is what I'm one of my big beefs with the Trump movement, not him personally, the movement that has followed this last election cycle, because many on the right are becoming like this lady. They're starting to just make nonsensical points. Instead of calling out Trump for any specifics, she did not highlight any real policies. This was all grandiose. It was almost hyperbole, right? She was just, he's, he's a fascist. He's like Hitler. She just kept throwing big. Big terms and big ideas out there, but never once highlighted an action he has taken. So let me take Mr. Trump to task on her behalf, but with a rational thing. Trump and the Republican Party campaigned heavy on repealing Obamacare. This last thing that a lot of people – I've heard people have watched the news and they they do not understand what's happened down there. 
the bill that was put forward that was defeated by the Freedom Caucus was literally another a completely rhino version of Obamacare. They changed a few little things, kept all of the main uh, bad things of the, the Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, whatever it's called. They literally just changed a few little window dressing, put a new name on it, and tried to put it up as their own. And it was defeated, fortunately. Now, wait a minute. Right wait a minute. after. Let it, me make a point here before you go on. Yep. Doesn't that demonstrate the system works? Yep. That when even somebody like Trump, who campaigns on getting rid of something, presents what he wants to replace it with and it's bad, it gets shot full of holes. But my point did is. Did they do anything like this woman did? No. But did, did this woman bring that up? Is this woman got anything important or intelligent to say about it? No. no. She's just throwing random rhetoric at I'm nobody. I'm just saying that the system obviously works. And by the way, uh, so after the uh, – just to finish that little – for people to know, there was a member of the House that put forward a bill, just a one-sentence type deal, full, unequivocal repeal of Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. It was roundly defeated by the Republican House. It went nowhere. So they lied to get elected. So did Trump. They are not serious about getting rid of Obamacare. That was one of their major campaign things. People like Tucker and all the rest of everyone, oh, man, we got to get this out of here. If you don't get this guy in, if we don't get them in, we're going to be stuck with Obamacare. And there you go. They didn't really. So if she had been on Tucker Carlson's show saying, look, one of the things we elected this guy on and we elected the we, – we wanted them to do this and they've sold us out. They're not doing it. Even someone put up a bill that just said very simply it's gone. He, they, they won't pass it. They won't put it through. Why isn't Mr. Trump, President Trump out there saying, hey, get that to my desk. I will sign it. He's not saying that. They're not saying that. Nobody's saying that. So I don't hear her or people like her making arguments of actual substance, of actual um, – Policy. They're not making any. She just out there. She just doesn't like the guy. Yeah, and and, and, and in, in the same time, what is what's propelling people like her mm-hmm. is this fact. It, it's as you pointed out earlier. They liked what Obama was doing, which was devastating the country. Everything from Obamacare to the collapse of the southern border to his foreign policy, of which there is no way to decipher what he was doing. I mean, that's that's one of the things I was thinking about on the way into the show tonight was. Trump firing missiles at Syria when he said he wouldn't. But at the same time, um, Obama had he, – he drew that red line in the sand while he crossed it, never did a thing. He's been using chemical weapons on his own people. Okay, at some point, because chemical weapons um, – I won't say are worse than nuclear weapons because they don't have the same area of damage and, you know, that the, the nukes are in a class out of their own. Mm-hmm. But they're the next step down. So when you gas with sarin gas your own people, some kind of consequence has to come from that. Mm-hmm. Obama was not willing to ever nope. punish anybody nope. for doing things like that. Trump has done some good things. He has. And he, he fight, and the nice thing about this, he, he, he struck a military target. Mm-hmm. He didn't, to the best of our knowledge, did not cause any civilian casualties. There might have been a few military personnel, but when you're on a military base of a dictatorship like that, you can expect something to fall on your head sooner or later. So he could have – that was a warning shot over the bow because there was a lot of fuss made about how much damage wasn't done by the cruise missiles. So what? Who cares? The fact is they bombed his, his, the base where the jets took off from. The next time, maybe they send three or 400 at the presidential palace mm-hmm. 
and just overwhelm their their anti-aircraft defenses with more tomahawks than they can shoot down. You know what's funny is, and and again, you, you see the pattern with people like this. They can't even acknowledge when he does something right. They can't acknowledge when he does. They can't even articulate when he does something wrong. All the business about the uh, Obama administration surveilling the Trump team, that happened. They did it. Yeah, he was but he I was mean, absolutely right on that. But then, again, Trump makes a big deal out of it, sort of like the way Ted Cruz shouldn't legally be allowed to run for government. Somebody should take this to court, and then he never did, right? Trump Trump isn't serious about really calling that out because I do believe he's like a Nixon. And in that, I agree with her. I do believe he is like a Nixon type. He is like an Obama type. Obama was doing this. He was using his powers of government to punish you with the IRS. They were going after Tea Party groups. They went after Joel the Plumber. Yep. Anybody that was an opposition to him, they went after. Anybody that was in fa- like on their side... I mean, those Black Panthers that were guilty, they were found guilty of voter intimidation. It was on video. They had a judgment against them. They just had to be sentenced. The court withdrew it under Obama's thing. So, I mean, Trump, I think Trump doesn't want to push it because I do think he's an authoritarian. I do think he's going to use powers like that. He hasn't done it yet, but I think he's capable of it. But as long as she or people like her make cases like that... She's making the case for him, just like with Hitler and the way they used the was it the stormtroopers that did the rioting. Yeah, the, no, the, the, the Waffen SS. Okay, okay, but they're the ones that were the agitators, and then he took them out. Oh no, that was a different group again. Yeah. That was the um, oh god, the brown shirts they okay. were called. So he, but he again. This is even George Soros talks about stuff like this. This is a left wing thing using agitators, and then. Then you have the, the government, well, we need to come in and control it because people are fed up with all the chaos and, and, and people like this. You get people doing rioting type stuff. You get people with the insanity and people just start to turn it off after a while. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because when the, during, the, during the election there was rioting by the Obama crowd, none by the Trump crowd. And when Obama won, there was no rioting at all. Mm-hmm. Funny that, just a thought. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to another topic here. What else do we have on the queue? Oh, well, there's always Trudeau's trip to the Bahamas. Uh, we now know it costs $133,000 for him to go down and spend time with Aga Khan. Now, Aga Khan's a great guy. He spends a lot of money on charity, and I'm not knocking him. But, you know, it, it's, it's not so much. What's that old saying? It's not the lie. It's the cover-up. And that, I think, is what's propelling this story, is the fact that they didn't come out right away and say, look, it costs one hundred thirty k. If they had done that, yes, the, the the opposition would have had a cow for two or three days, but it would be over. It's when you try to cover it up, that's when you really look guilty and people say, if he won't tell us that, what else isn't he telling us? And his numbers are beginning to reflect that. The Tories and the Liberals on the federal stage are now run, running neck and neck, and the Tories don't even have a leader. Imagine if they get somebody, any one of the of the – Right now, of the candidates running for the leadership of the Tory party would make a better prime minister than that guy will, than that guy does. And it's beginning to show. There's another story I have queued up here about how his tax, his budget flopped. It didn't get any traction with people. They just didn't care. They weren't, it, wasn't, it wasn't what they were after. So he's out there, and we have to pull him through a knothole uh, back and forth several times to find out. What did I? Because look, the government 
in, in Ottawa spends more than that on paper clips. $133,000 out of a $162 billion budget is nothing. I think that's what the budget is. It's approaching $2 billion anyway, $200 billion. Anyway, the point is, compared to the amount of money they waste in other areas, $130K, it's nothing. It's a lot of money, but it's nothing. But the other part about it is this kid, this guy is a trust fund kid. He should be able to afford his own vacations. Now, I'm not saying the prime minister should have to dig into his own pocket and pay for his own vacations. He is the chief executive officer of the country. And there are certain perks that come with that. But just be honest. Just tell us. That's what makes us look so terrible. I mean, for crying out loud. You know, I'd like to go down for, to Aga Khan's private estate over Christmas. That would be a great place to spend with the family. I don't have the financial resources or the connections to make that happen. But if he just comes out and if he would just come out and say, Sophie and I are taking the kids. We're going down to the Bahamas at, a, at the invitation of a friend. And, you know, it's going to cost us X amount of dollars. Okay, there's a big to-do for a couple of days. Blows over. Game over. Because he's told the truth. Now, I'm beginning to think he's incapable of that. If you really want to get down to it, I really think it's just in his nature to duck and weave. He spent too long in the boxing ring. Maybe he actually lost that fight against Brazo. He sure kicked Harper's butt. Harper went down like he had a glass jaw. Well, there were a lot of reasons for that. (laughs) I liked Harper. Can I I ask a question about... Now, was it not Trudeau Sr. who said that... uh, Is this one of these myths, or did he actually say that the government should not be in the bedrooms of... Yes, the government should stay out of the bedrooms of the nation, yes. Now, isn't that interesting? Because I don't even think our conservative party or people ever advocate that, much less junior. That's how far to the left, and let's be honest, Trudeau Sr., he was into the Marx stuff. He went to the Fabian School in, in England. This guy was a hardcore progressive leftist, and even that was too far for him. That's how far all of us have gone down into left-wing Progressivism. That's how far we, you know, we've, how many times you use the analogy of the bench and the, the moving over a little bit, a little yep. bit. Are we even on the bench anymore? Because I don't think so. Okay. The, the, see, now here, the problem is uh, if you were to bring in, uh, let's say, Sir John A. MacDonald and the kind of conservatism that he represented back in 1867. Well, you're not going to get me because uh, I didn't. He was a Tory. He didn't like. He actually. I'm starting to get into his writings now. He rejected the American republicanism. And look, in fairness to him, it had only barely gotten started. Nobody knew for sure that was going to work. Fair so enough. I understand. But the point, the point I'm making point, is you know. that he was far more conservative. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Than even the most radical conservative today is. Well, he was authoritarian. They're like the Tories were not like what. Yeah, today, well, they were. Right? All, but remember the culture and the time. But well, what yes, I'm yes, saying yes. is, uh, if you were to to bring back a government of that era mm-hmm. and shrink our government down to that size, people would go crazy. They wouldn't know what to do. It's I, like I would almost have... take Bob Ray back at this point. That's how far bigger we <clears throat> are. No, but think about it. how much bigger are we now. But the point I'm making, though, is right? if you ha- if you take somebody who's been in prison for 50 years yep. and you open the gates and you say, good luck, they're either going to recommit just to get back inside or they're going to die. Well, they're going to wonder who's whether they're in or out because I don't know sometimes Because anymore. they don't know what to do with all this freedom. It, let me give you a much more uh, realistic and, and classic example. I know families who are homeschooling families, good, solid people. I won't name names. I'm just... I have a couple of different families in mind. 
and they had a large group of kids, and they loved them so they, they loved them so much they gave up life in the city and moved to the country to protect their kids against all the horrors of the world. Right? They put them in this castle, up on this up on a farm on a hilltop, great big two hundred acres, lots of room to run around, and they don't have to worry about the world influencing their children until they're ready to leave the nest. Sounds great. One problem. That mentality causes more damage because the kids walk to the end of the driveway when they're 18 and go, wow. And they find out that there are things like drugs, sex, all kinds of stuff, the way people dress, the way they carry on. They've had no exposure. One of the reasons we inoculate. Are you talking homeschooling or are you talking like Amish? Uh, Well, it's either way. Because well, you guys did homeschooling. Yes, we did. But, but, but you made sure your kids knew what was going on in the of world. Of course. Yeah. Now, and I'm not trying to put my wife and I up on no, a pedestal. No, no. I'm only saying that the siege mentality that some people get is the same thing as taking a prisoner and throwing them out into the in, into the general population of the of the society with no transitional period. Right? Just open the gates, and let them go. They're going to go crazy because they all for 50 years they've had their life ordered every day. They knew it was going to happen. Somebody else told them what to do. Mm. Same thing as being in the military. Okay, maybe that's another analogy. If you were to take Canadians today and say, all of a sudden, you know what? There's no regulations around guns. We'll go back to pre-1932. You want a gun, go buy one. Mm-hmm. You shoot somebody with it, you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or you don't need to wear a seatbelt. Or you don't need to wear a helmet. Or you're going to pay for your own health care. But we're going to cut your taxes, too. People would just go out of their minds. Well, this is why the 20s exploded when Calvin Coolidge and Warren Harding uh, cut the government like massively because the progressive movement had already taken root uh, under Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson. And by the time those two guys came in, they were very much cut government, get them out of your hair, get them out of your business. Um, we in Canada don't like, see, this is one of the things that puts America different. This is part of the uh, definition of American exceptionalism. Their government is, they're, they're post constitutional. So we're not talking modern day, we're, they've devolved as well. But the way they were set up was with enumerated powers. They had a very specific, very limited role of what a government could or should do. And they were not allowed to deviate from that. And even their Bill of Rights, their Bill of Rights is all telling government, it's, it's underscoring. By the way, when carrying out your functions, you're not allowed to violate this. In carrying out your functions, you're not allowed to violate that. And it goes on up until 9 and 10, and then 9 and 10 says, oh, and by the way, if we forgot to mention any that you're not allowed to violate, you're not allowed to violate those either. It's yeah. under, so, like, again, but whereas Canada and the Magna Carta, it's, a, it's, a, it's not that it's a bad thing, but it only ever limited to the common good. And then the common good becomes this very fluffy, fuzzy... Nebulous thing, yeah. Yes. The point I'm driving at, though, yep. is that in, because we're so far over one way... We are. If we suddenly switched the other way, it would cause unbelievable chaos. So it's going to be, in other words, Rome well, it's wasn't built. Gradual. No, no, it's yeah, got to be gradual. Okay, yeah. that's that's what I'm driving at. Yep. You can't just suddenly. It's like if a ship is listing 40 degrees to the starboard side, you can't just flip it over 40 degrees to the to the port side. You're going to throw things around inside and make a mess. Can I make a Bible analogy again? Yep. Because we're from the Bible. The when the Jews were taken out, when the Israelites were removed from Egypt, well, the first things they did was complain. Well, yeah, but as God <laughs> was leading them through the wilderness, and uh-huh. they were taking out the various nations that He wanted taken out, because God decreed that they didn't just decide to start attacking people. 
Um, God said, I am not going to remove your enemies overnight because if I did, then the, the wild animals and such would overwhelm you. In other words, it had to be gradual. They had to slowly earn it. We're, Grow we've into been a hundred years of turning progressive. We're going to have to, we're going to have to endure a long, slow return. It might be a little quicker, but it, we're not going to. Well, it's get like raising kids, right? Oh, yeah. You don't give the uh, three-year-old the keys to the car. They have to grow into that. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So we we have this culture that is steeped in progressivism, and you have to water it down slowly over time and start adding the conservatism you want. Mm-hmm. into it to kind of get people back to the idea that they can be self-reliant, they can look after themselves and trust their own judgments, and we have to help the edu- we have to help them with that by making the education system more responsive to the real world instead of the uh, socialist utopia that everybody wants it to be. Well, I want to ask a question to the audience and to Canada. You know, we like to, uh, we conservatives, we like, uh, you know, Winston Churchill, we like to cite that guy. Um Winston Churchill in, I think it was 1936, wrote or gave an essay or gave a speech on uh, what good is a constitution. He was very big pro-American. He liked their system. Mm -hmm. Um, He liked the limitations of government. That's what what appealed to him. But he he posed this question at the beginning, and he said, this is the first and foremost question everyone has to answer first. And that is, does the individual come before the state, or does the state and the collective come before the individual? What? rises more important you have to answer that question and at the time he answers that question or the time he asks this question nazi germany is on the rise fascist italy is on the rise real fascist um uh, the russians had already had their uh thing i think by, by that time would lenin still be or would it be uh 1936 that's, no, that's now? You're, you're getting into the stalin era but anyways and and the fabian movement was already on the rise and on the scene now in britain the progressive movement in america fdr was a progressive so he said this is becoming a question and a lot of the uh, a lot of the big countries around the world the the Ones like Germany, first-class countries, were starting to choose the collective over the individual. And they and if you choose the collective over the individual, then there's nothing you can take – there's nothing you can't do to any individual ever because the collective is always more important. Yeah, it's the beehive Whereas, mentality. Exactly. But if you cannot violate even the individual, if, if government is there to protect the individual, then all of the collective is protected because yeah. if no individual can be violated, then – the whole collective is protected, right. but there's always going to be one person against the group. If you have, once you choose that collective mentality, there's nothing stopping. There's no limitations anymore. Okay, let me stop you there because I want to move on to another topic. You know, one of the things a lot of people do is they travel by air, and it's there's millions of people in the air at any one time, and there's hundreds of thousands of airplanes. There's more airplanes in the air than we have runway space to put them on. There's just you know, because they count on a certain amount of airplanes in the air at any one time. And I think that's pretty much common knowledge. And they also know, the average air traveler knows, that airlines commonly overbook their flights because 10 to 15% of the people who book a flight don't show up. And with the cost of fuel and the cost of wages and all the regulations making air travel so expensive, they like to make sure their airplanes are full for maximum uh, return on their investment. I understand that, okay? But I want to know something. 343-700-4390. I want to know who the idiot was at United Airlines in the PR department who thought that dragging 
an elderly doctor out of his seat on a United Airlines flight after he'd already been boarded because they screwed up and overbooked. Listen to this. I'm going to play this clip. It's only about 50 seconds long. This is the actual sound of this poor guy, Dr. Dow, uh, being dragged by the police off the airplane. You are not, If you haven't heard this already, like I said, it's only, uh, sorry, I lied, it's 58 seconds long. Uh, let me make sure. Oh, yeah, that's on already. Okay, here it is. No, really, here it is. So there you go. I'm going to turn my mic back on. So there you go. I mean, think about it. What is, when, especially with somebody, with an organization like United Airlines, who depend, who absolutely depend on good public, public relations. What moron thought that was a good idea? Wait, I got to find it again. All right, there we go. Anyway, they switched over to baseball. Um, <laughs> it's one of these continuous news loop feed things. Anyway, the point is, this guy is a doctor. He well, paid he, for his ticket. But but even I'm not going to defend what they did. Hang I, on, I, 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 I can hold it. Okay, I, I'm not going to defend what they did. But who the hell acts like that? If you're a, you're you're a doctor, this is how you act. I would have been mad. I would have gotten off the plane. I, I don't know where did the turn you know the what? cheek and and let them have the stupid coat. Where did that go? Again, because we've let God go right out of society, we don't think like that no, anymore. Well, okay, you know what, Mike? I hear you. I'm just I'm going to disagree. I think that first of all, it was a surprise. He wasn't expecting to be manhandled by the police. He wasn't expecting to get his lip busted. Yeah, and I didn't see what we didn't see what led up to that. So we don't know whether they had well, given him like because I mean, if the police give you a command. And look, I mean, if they just show up and yank them off the plane, they're going to they're be in a lot of trouble. Okay. i got to believe To be, to that, be fair, yeah. we don't see what leads yeah. up to. It's somebody's seen, seen something happening, pulled their camera out of their pocket. So yeah. you missed the first few seconds. Yeah. Did they say to him, sir, you have to come with us? And even then, he'd be justified in saying why. Yep. You know, do you have a warrant for my arrest? You know, there'd be a lot of questions you could ask before you got to the point where they physically laid hands on you. But from a PR point of view, how he reacted is the last of your concerns. The fact that he was dragged off the off the plane by clothed, you know, in uniform police officers because you made a mistake and overbooked the airplane. I'm sorry. That should have somebody's head on a plate. There is no excuse for that. None. Well, like and, and the reason, again, I don't know the story. I don't know enough details about this story to truly comment on it just yet because uh, I have no idea what precipitated this. Whether him being because we've seen 
situations where we've we've become so disrespectful to one another in this society, okay, with the way some po- – there are police officers who are abusive with their power and authority. We mm-hmm. know that. That's yep. true. But that doesn't mean every cop is out there grabbing for, you know, shooting black people. No, or, I'm actually, you know, no, yeah. no, I know. But I'm saying that we've become so belligerent. And so I'm, I'm driving through a mall anymore. P- people don't even look two ways to walk in front of the car. They just walk right in front of you. They don't even look anymore. It's we've just sort of get out of my way mentality. How dare you offend me mentality. Everything okay, well, is. Let, let me add a little more right? information from the story. Uh, After Dow repeatedly refused to leave his seat, security Mm -hmm. personnel from the city's aviation department uh, pulled him from it, dragging him down the aisle and off the aircraft. Cell phone videos from the incident quickly went viral. So, okay, he was told you need to leave the seat. But, again... When, and, and keep in mind, with an airplane, you're not like on a bus or something where, like, airplanes got a whole other level of security, right? So Fair enough. Refusing... But you, if you're going to remove somebody from an airplane or from any mode of transportation, unless it's a terrorist threat, yep. okay, which this guy clearly was not a terrorist threat. There was There's not, nothing in the story to indicate anything along that line. So the only other reason would be a warrant for his arrest that they've, they've found you on an airplane and now they're going to arrest you, in which case you should present the warrant and tell him he's under arrest and why. What I don't understand also is, like, so if he was sitting down first, yes. then there was another person, what, waiting for that seat? If that's the case, then wouldn't you don't the, pull him. The, no, exactly. Wouldn't the, the right one be to remove the other person first? Like, look... We've made a mistake. This raises more questions than it answers. Well, that's why I say there's a lot here that doesn't make sense to me. I almost get the feeling like everybody acted badly on this instead of. Well, I'm not. Will, I'm not too willing to to blame the 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 guy who got dragged literally dragged down the aisle on this. Well, I, I know, but if you're the officer who's charged with getting this guy off for whatever reason, that decision gets made. I'm right not blaming the cops either. No, no. But right or wrong, once that decision is made, now their duty is to get that guy off the plane. If he's not going to obey, then they're going to have to drag him. Okay, but the point is, who made the call? That's what I'm talking about. Yep. Who in the PR department or who at the airport? Well, do these working... people that drag him, are they working? Are they the security or are they working for United? No, this, like, it, We know United is in looks trouble like, because it's their plane. It, it looks like from the video, it looked to be either police or security services within the airport. Yeah. But – Regardless of who does the actual dragging, yep. it's like saying, okay, that guy shot Fred, but he was doing it because the mob hired that guy. Mm. So the, the the mobster who ordered the hit is at least as guilty as the guy who pulled the trigger. See, the reason I'm bristling at this is because there's a case here in Ottawa where they, you know, the police went in to arrest a fellow who – now. Apparently he was mentally ill, but it's also apparent that he was not. He was resisting arrest and posing a danger to the officers. I don't know the full story of what went down there, but I, again, the police have they've got a position to fill. I don't like it when they're abusing their power, but at the same time, people are also not respecting. So, like, it, 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 you're, it's both sides are creating a, a volatile situation. If you're not going to obey the officers, you're forcing force to. You know what I mean? You're, you're escalating the force, but exactly. the, it's still. I'm sorry. I'm still going to come down. I'm sticking to my guns. I'm still saying somebody oh, yeah. working for United oh, yeah. should have said this isn't happening. No, it, because this was handled back for, from the beginning. Even if the only reason it yeah. isn't happening is because what it would make the airline look like. Well, and the fact that the guy's sitting in the seat—that's not. If, if I'm working for them, I'm saying, okay, well, he's already sitting. We're going to have to deal with this one. 
That's you when you turn to the other person yeah. whose seat he's taking and say, I'm sorry, uh, through no fault of your own, that seat is not available. Yeah. So we'll put you up in a hotel. I we'll bump you up a class. This is what I mean. It's yep. common sense. It's yep. logical yep. that you would never – Unless there's a security threat, like a you know the guy's a suspected terrorist, or there's a warrant out for his arrest for something, and the police have to serve it, because they if he gets the other end, they'll lose him or whatever. And even then, you could probably catch him as he got off the airplane, uh, unless so unless he's a dangerous criminal. But the way he comes off reminds me of the woman Tucker just that that's uh, that I, it's I, almost that kind of behavior. Ah, look, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what was in the man's head. I just think the person who's really got a lot to answer for is the person said, "Go get him off the plane." Like to me, if this is, if I'm that guy and they're telling me to get off the plane, first I'm gonna I'm gonna refuse at first. But at some point, I'm gonna relent and say, "Fine, I'm getting off this plane." I'm not only am I gonna raise hell, I'm never gonna fly with this airline ever again. I would make a big deal out well, of it. Well, he's suing them for millions now. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't blame him. I'm I sorry, I, I don't blame him. Look. Like I said before, airlines do this because it's so expensive to run airplanes. I get it. I'm okay with that. Like if I was flying from here to, let's say, Vancouver, okay, and I were to go get on my flight, and the the person at the checkout counter said, I'm sorry, Mr. Vandergrat, that's, you know, through no fault of your own, but we'll get you on the next flight. You've got here here's some uh, meal ticket. Go get yourself a meal at the restaurant and try to make up for it like that. But, but I'm annoyed, this- but... Is this really worth millions, though? It's going to cost them millions. I know, I know, because they're a big company, see, and this, this is like the coffee thing. I, to me, look, the guy deserves to sue them. He deserves to raise holy hell. I, but I also think he comes off a little bad in it. But I also, and and I don't even understand that the, why they would drag him off when he was already seated. It, obviously, the logical thing would be the person who's not seated is the one who's going to yeah. miss the plane. But then again. Now it's worth what millions of dollars? He this is a millions oh, of dollars. Oh, we're getting violation. a little more information. Apparently, the passenger they bumped him for was an employee of United. Well, that just makes them look really stupid. That's that, especially if that's the case. Thank you yeah. for that. Uh, uh, the, somebody posted that on Facebook for me. But again, he should have just got up, left, and and either sued them for the inconvenience because he would have been out money. He would have had to stay hotel. Who knows what? Well, they that, would, that would they have, should have taken care of that. Yes, but I mean, he would have had a better. He would have looked better. He may come off with his millions on this, and everyone's going to make like a big deal out of him. But really, I mean, I think he acted badly, and I don't think he deserves millions. Does he deserve? Does he deserve something? Sure. And but I I, I mean I well you give put it in the hands of a good lawyer and with the fact oh, this know. thing went viral he's going to get millions whether he's right or not but to, to go on treat this like it's a lottery ticket now oh boy I got offended I'm worth millions now like this is starting to get sick about society the, the guy okay look I don't I don't know this this gentleman any more than I know the lamppost outside no I'm more talking less about him more just this is societal this is the story of the yeah, week there'll oh, be somebody very else litigious. next week. It's a very litigious society, no doubt about it. I'm not going to argue with that. But not just litigious, but I mean, like for insane numbers, right? We everything is blown. You know, there's been a bit of a theme tonight with some of the things. I was thinking to myself, like, have you ever noticed that everything, even if it's going to rain tomorrow, suddenly it's a red alert? Oh, everything you is you everything the best yet. Is, if you're going to go down that road, listen to this. Going from one thing to another. Uh, did you know that students say are saying that having Chick-fil-A at their school will put their safe space at risk? 
Yeah, man, I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten about this one. No, it's not vegans who are whining about Chick-fil-A. It's an ultra-left student senators. According to campus reform, student senators at Duchesne University want to cancel plans to bring a Chick-fil-A to campus in the fall because they fear for the safety of their peers. And we all know it's because they have a Christian background, right? That's exactly what this yeah, is. Yeah, that's what this is about. Yep. Duchesne University student senator Nico, Nico Martini hmm. <laughs> and Duchesne Duke Chick-fil-A have a questionable history. I told the Duque, Duchesne Duke that Chick-fil-A has a questionable history on civil rights and human rights. Really? Just because they don't agree with you? Oh, my God. I think it's imperative that the university choose to do business with organizations that coincide with the university's mission and expectations they give students regarding diversity and inclusion. Well, they're not for inclusion. They don't want Chick-fil-A there. Of course not. They're hypocrites. I mean, if you were inclusive, you wouldn't care what – because, look – the people who work at the Chick-fil-A outlet in the university? If they were inclusive, they'd be arguing for Chick-fil-A's right to be there. We just don't – we're not going to buy the chicken. Oh, my God. But see what I mean? Everything is bully. Bully, bully, bully. Bully each other. Even – let's be honest. I know a lot of people that were behind the Trump, they liked the fact that he was kind of a bully back. They liked that. And – this is what I'm. I, this is what bothers me. Everything no, I mean, is turning into bullying. Okay, both sides. Somebody on Facebook asked me to ask you this question: sure. Isn't suing how we maintain our rights? Suing? Uh-huh. I don't have a problem with like you're referring to the guy who's suing or for, enforce. I'm sorry, maintain, enforce. Yeah. To a certain extent, I suppose. Like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with. I'm not saying I'm against suing. Yeah. I'm not even saying the guy doesn't have damages coming to him. But You're it's just, just like the everything is worth zillions of dollars. Yeah. And as soon as somebody didn't give the kid the blue hat at the birthday party, they're getting zillions of dollars. How yeah. dare you? you I will admit. Me? I will admit. Many people take it way. Too, remember the classic story of the old lady with the coffee, okay, or the guy who. Uh, Gained 300 pounds because he ate at McDonald's every day and then tried to sue them for it. Those are. Whatever happened to the days of just apologizing, of just, you know, the company saying, look, we're really sorry this happened. I think think what the comment about suing and forcing our rights, uh, yes, that's a good point. But like anything else, it can be taken too far. Whatever happened to judges looking defendants in the eye and saying, you want to do what? This is frivolous. Get out of my courtroom. I mean, they do have that power. They can't throw a case out because it's frivolous. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes in weighing 450 pounds because he was, you know, eating at a fast food restaurant every day, three meals a day, and then got mad because he got fat, sorry, that's no one was holding a gun to your head. If you were putting on weight and you didn't like it, you should have stopped going to the restaurant. That's not their fault. Get out of my courtroom. But I also think if I sued everybody that ever offended or stepped on my toes or bumped into me or did anything that I didn't like, I mean, my whole life would be in a courtroom. I, I don't know. It just To me, damages in courtrooms should be for something really serious. You know, like if, Well, if now these, you get into the nebulous crowd of what's serious and what isn't. Like, well, it's all subjective. That's, that's a subjective that's thing. exactly sure. right. But, I mean, let's be honest. Some of these cases are getting too far. The spilled coffee and all the rest of that nonsense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like if somebody does real damages to a person, then that then there's there's a that that's fair to me. All right. Well, then with that, Mike, I gotta stop you there because guess what? Show's over. Really? Yep. 
<laughs> I've got just enough time to say goodnight and play the theme song. And we always play the theme song. All right. Well, thanks, Mike, for, for, for joining me this evening. It was uh, unscheduled but most pleasant. I enjoyed the company, and it was made for great conversation. And I hope people enjoyed it, listening to it, as much as I enjoyed engaging in it. Yeah, I enjoyed so, it. Thank you very much. For the rest of you, that wraps it up for me again tonight. I'll be back again, as always, next week. Um, John Robson will be here. I'm going to talk with him on a couple of different topics, one about the state of journalism in the world today, or the lack of it. Uh, and we're also going to talk about his new document, documentary about global warming and environmentalism. I'll let him explain it all. There's a, pay, there's a link on my Facebook page. Uh, if you want to go support him and find out more about what that's all about, so he'll be in studio. He'll be uh, on the phone. Sorry, on the phone uh, next week, starting at nine o'clock. So I certainly hope you'll join me then. In the meantime, we'll be Caritas et Amor. They are CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can so fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Of all the comrades that it I had They're sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay since it fell into 